Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Empowered Conversations. I'm Susie Petrozzi, your host, and gosh... I'm um, really, I'm really immersing myself in some of the conversations that I've been having, and a lot of it, you know, continues to uh, process for me long after some of the conversations that we've had. Um, I'm impacted by them because of um, what is being shared because of the authenticity and the presence with which things are being shared. Um, so I hope that this is that the conversations are having, um, you know, an impact on your life in a way that maybe gets you to question things, maybe gives you insight about something in life. Um, about your own journey here. And I really hope that this conversation that we're about to embark on does that in, you know, an even more profound way because of who the speaker is. Um, so I want to introduce you to, um, actually, I'll share a little bit about um, our speaker today. So um, I'll be speaking to Chantelle Jackson and Chantelle is um She's a psychotherapist, she's a trauma worker and um, she also works, um, she worked in in the hospital until recently coordinating spiritual support services and still works as a trauma therapist and uh, providing spiritual care in aged care. And it's something that she says nourishes her deep sense that our lives are miraculous and mysterious and that it matters how we live and how we are met when things become shaky and scary and uncertain. Um, she came to her work, like most people, um, through her own journey, which we will be hearing about, and um, she had to find her way through long-term chronic illness and healing from childhood and illness-related trauma. And a lot of this has led her to her own work um, of somatic experiencing, which is a modality that she's come to love for its simplicity and its trust of our innate capacity for healing. Um, I just wanted to mention those things because the rest um, Chantelle will be sharing with us. Um, so Chantel, hello and um, welcome and thank you so much for um, agreeing to be open to our Empowered Conversation. Well, hello Susie and thank you so much for inviting me. It feels a real um, joy and honour to be here with you today mm. with your listeners. Mm. Well, look, we've we've had a few conversations already about your journey and um, I would love to start um, about your own journey, you know, uh, particularly your journey with um, chronic illness, your journey around what led you to become a trauma worker, um, psychotherapist, counsellor. 
Um, I know, I know it's a big question, but I know that um, what you've got to share will be relevant and will touch a lot of people out there. Thank you. Yeah, glad to share about that. Um, so I uh, developed what was later called chronic fatigue syndrome when I was uh, 20. Um, there was a sort of year and a half pretty full on lead up to the sort of systemic collapse in my body that um, that I couldn't come back from and that uh, then got labelled chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, it's a very, it's such a weird term because it doesn't really even begin to capture the experience of that illness. And I think, you know, the, probably the easiest way for me to talk about the beginnings of that was, well, I'd had a very, you know, emotionally difficult time for a year and a half and then I got a bad flu and then I could just feel it was like my body systems couldn't regroup. It was like just internal chaos all the time and I could feel everything was knocked out of balance and I just, it was scary because I didn't know how to bring anything back to balance um, as an example of that, it's like when I was lying down, it felt like I was standing up. Mm. Um, when I was lying down, I always felt like I was on a plane coming into land. So there just was no, I couldn't sleep well. Um, I couldn't engage in stimulus. Um, it was too overwhelming um, other than little bits and pieces of quietly listening to music. Um, I couldn't rouse myself I couldn't get up um to get back to you know doing university I couldn't get back to university I couldn't you know I could have short conversations with housemates or friends and then I would just have to lie down I was just done mm. um so it was scary mm. you know and and what made it scarier was that nobody else knew what was happening and the people who tried to make sense of it and mm -hmm. provide help, doctors, and I visited a homeopath as well, they couldn't. So I was living with something that I could feel and I could feel what was happening, but there was no, no shared language for that or any interventions that could help my body come back into mm -hmm. balance and um and so I just had to kind of keep living with that and, and do my best. So, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, you know, it's one of those unimaginable journeys and experiences if, you know, if someone hasn't been through that. Um, what, what I want to know is given, given, given the um, – the pain of that, we're talking about emotional pain, we're talking about, you know, all from what you're saying, you know, all senses kind of being almost out of, out of you know, alignment. Um, yeah. You were saying when you're standing, you feel like you're laying down. When you're laying down, you feel like you're in a plane coming down. Um, what, what was, what were the kind of things going through your mind around making sense? Because oftentimes we, we can't, right? We can't, when we're in that place, we can't make sense. So like that would have been, that would have been excruciating for you to try and make sense of. 
Yeah, so I think I there are a couple of things. One is I kept looking back to what led up to me being in this and I knew that I had been triggered by my mother and stepfather moving from our family home of six years Mm -hmm. and that when that happened I saw a local counsellor and only once but she said oh that's PTSD Mm -hmm. and I was like okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not very helpful but okay Um, and then I just you know I was already in in some kind of chaos, right? It just it, mm. it, it just it was that it um, it kept escalating and, until my body couldn't, you know, sustain me to continue engaging in everyday life. Mm. Um, so, and and one of the things that I I didn't really know what PTSD could be, but what I kept feeling was grief. So when I ended up in this, I was like, I have to get to the root of the root of this, and I think it's the grief. So what can I do about that? Uh-huh. And I guess what was difficult was I didn't have an answer mm-hmm. for what do I do about this grief. But, um, you, but you had now questions. Under- Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. At that point, what you did have is questions and wanting to know, wanting to get to, as you said, to the bottom of it, to the root cause of this. Yes, yes. And I was also aware that, you know, that there was this sort of deep underlying emotional, for want of a better word, Mm. part of this. But I could also feel like my body is just completely thrown. Mm. And that I felt more helpless about because that felt like the realm of doctors or naturopaths or homeopaths and none of them had a clue it was just go home mm-hmm. do as much as you can rest mm. and I couldn't rest you know my system oh. was too activated or I could rest in little bits and pieces but my my system was you know my system my psyche <laughs> I mean there was a center holding me together but mm. there was all of this freak out mm. you know happening inside on so many levels and layers and I could kind of see it, mm-hmm. but that didn't help me to know what to do about it. Yeah. How right. to get kind of underneath right. it and bring in support. Yeah. And that's interesting often, isn't it? Like in our own work, we can, our clients might share, but even, even people and even, even myself, you know, will like, I'll know maybe what's behind it, but I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what yeah. to, where to next. It's like, well, what next? And, yeah. you know, one of the things that's, quite clear is that you are asking the questions even though you didn't know the answers and I think that that's quite important in our journey and I'm sure that we all do that I don't know I mean I'm, I'm curious as you're sharing your story now and I want to know more about what happened then but the question I have do you think that that's innate do you think that it's inherent that we ask questions in order to I guess in order for our own guidance to kind of show us the next step I do, and I think I certainly know for myself that I can easily go from I can see there's a problem, how do I fix it? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real power in sitting in the question. You know, Rilke uh-huh. talks about that. Can we live in the questions long enough to stumble mm-hmm. into the answers? Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes it, yeah, I can I can go too quickly and that doesn't work. 
that it's much more important to go, okay, I think, you know, in some ways it might have gone better for me if I could have gone, I can see that there is grief. I can see that my systems are all out of whack. How can I actually see this or rest into this enough for answers to arise or find me or me to find them? And I'm not saying I didn't do that. I also think that there were a lot of other factors in Mm. me not finding the help I needed for a very, very, very long time. Mm. Um, but, um, But I certainly know in my life now that if I can even just sit with saying, I don't know what to do, I don't know what this is, but I can feel there's something, that often when I do that, something opens up. and I think there was a terror and a desperation and a kind of a helplessness I felt very helpless Mm. um which sort of put me in um in a difficult place with all of this but I think part of that helplessness and that desperation came from not feeling like I did have a centre, not feeling like there was any ground underneath me, not feeling like anybody understood Mm -hmm. or could really see what was happening and help me make sense of it. So even if they didn't know what it was, there wasn't anyone who was, I guess, wise enough or capable enough to sit down quietly and just keep sitting with me and listening and feeling into, well, what are you feeling? What is this telling you? What do you, what do you know about this? Oh, it feels like there's some grief here. Mm. Maybe we can think through together. What, tell me more about that grief. What is it? You know, so I did see, you know, leading up to getting CFS, I did see like the university counselors and, yeah. I would be the first to say I probably didn't bring my stuff to them in very skillful ways, but then they weren't skillful at catching Uh what I brought. Yeah. 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 I think that's, it's kind of two way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I, I, I think about this and oftentimes clients will come and they'll say, and I'm sure you've had this experience where they say, well, I work with this person, but you know, I didn't find that helpful. And I don't, I often think, well, maybe they got what they needed to for that part of the journey. You know, like my sense is I wonder whether it's, it's almost, I don't know, but you know, I kind of think to, we, we got to be ready to then work through the enormity or what's happened to us and is it is it you know sometimes we can do that all I, I don't know if it you know if it's wise always to do it all at once I mean that like there's foundational blocks mm-hmm. that help us with the with the next part of the journey I guess what I'm saying yes. um yeah, yeah. Mm. so yes and I guess for me there's a tension there because mm. um on one hand, I agree that, you know, we are where we are and we engage how we engage and we find what we find and that's how it goes and maybe mm-hmm. m- maybe that is what we need. 
at that time or maybe that's all we can do or we can take in. But at the same time, there's the heartbreak Mm. of the gap of the deeper need that doesn't know how to be met Mm. yet or that doesn't find the people who would know how to meet it, even if it's looking. Mm. Yeah, so I think... I'm always a little careful with that because I both agree and I feel like there's a danger of, um, you know, saying too easily, oh, they weren't ready. Whereas sometimes I think the question is, what did they need from me? Mm. You know, what did that person actually need? I mean, I remember later thinking about those counsellors and going, why did not one of them, I wish one of them had sat down with me and said, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? How is your, how are you coping? How is your coping with your financial situation? Who is here to support you? Um, And just said, you know, honey, you've got so too much going on. I think you need to consider stepping out of you maybe Mm. just working part-time for a little while and just giving yourself some time and space, you know, because I was 20. What do I know? Yeah. You know, (laughs) you know, I I was incredibly smart, you know, in a lot of ways, but Mm. I didn't have those smarts. I really needed that older, wiser person to catch me. Mm. And that person wasn't there. And that happens. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's life. And it's almost going back to what we were sharing before, you know, around that someone else being willing, one, to ask the question, but then to also stay in the question almost to, even if they don't have the answers, but to ask the right questions and to acknowledge the enormity of what's going on and to know that that's, I guess, someone to just acknowledge that this is too much, This this is a lot. You're going through so much. Yes, and I think I think um, I think that's right. And that sort of meeting, it's kind of like seeing, you know, you know, beyond the sort of, you know, the content that's being brought into mm. sort of what's the heart of <laughs> what's mm. here, what's in the center of this. Mm. And I think, you know, as a therapist now. Um, mm-hmm. I sometimes do that well and I sometimes do it terribly. Mm. You know, there's clients I miss in the ways that I got missed, which is a little level of heartbreak. But it's also a learning for me around there's something, you know, that again circles back to this question or this practice of how can I become more still? Mm. How can I listen more deeply how can I slow down how can I listen beneath the words you know beneath beneath what's up here and what sort of you know jumping around and vying for attention to the what's deeper and what's beneath Mm. um because that that may be what needs attention so just in in relation to the pandemic, you know, I wrote a blog piece the other day about the problem is often the problem we think is the problem is not always the problem, um, yeah. you know, and, and kind of I feel, you know, with the pandemic, there's all these ways, you know, we're talking about masks and we're talking about, 
you know, financial support. And we're talking about all these things that are all really important. Mm. And there's this other layer underneath that is those deeper, more existential questions of why is this happening? What does this tell us mm. beneath all the practicalities? What, what might be a deeper, something deeper that's trying to be heard here? Mm. And to be the same with the bushfires. It's like, do we just fight them? Do we try and put them out? Mm. Or do we, you know, and in the process, we're emptying the dams, we're pouring, you know, toxic chemicals across thousands of kilometers of, you know, bushland Mm. in an attempt to stop something from happening. And it's like, when do we rest underneath and maybe hear what for me anyway was like the earth wailing yeah so when do we hear that deeper wailing which i think for me was underneath all the stuff that you know was chronic fatigue it was that deeper 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 wailing that i didn't feel like anybody could see or hear they only saw she lies in bed all day she's really anxious she can't sleep how do we deal with those symptoms yeah Mm. not really not willing being able to i don't know not willing not letting ourselves as you were saying to to go a little bit deeper without the need to have to know and to mm. even let go of the need to know mm. and mm. to be with not knowing. Mm. Yeah. And as you were saying, then to let emerge, to let whatever needs to, to let it emerge, to let it be seen, heard. And, oh, gosh, don't we all need that? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Even so far, just to, you know, what you've done so beautifully is there's me asking the questions and then, you know, going into a little bit of my logical mind around what happens when we seek for help. And you kind of gave another layer to it so that we were able to then go to another layer and another layer. But I was, I was able to be and to allow that. And I think it's that, isn't it? It's like as I listen to and allow your truth to unfold, as you allow my truth, that we allow something third to then emerge and to show us, ah. And so I kind of want to then circle back to, you know, here you are in your 20s, um, not knowing what was happening, feeling um, like, you know, not having the answers, asking the questions, not having the answers though, seeking help where you, where you can, where you knew to. Um, what was the, what for you was the turning point? If, if it may not have been a, a big turning point, but maybe what were turning points along the way for you mm. to starting to come out of 
that experience of chronic fatigue? I think there were some precursors, and I'll just go through these really quickly. Mm. So one was, um, you know, getting so further and further broken down by this thing um, and the experiences I had around it um, that I didn't really have anything left of the um, the structures that had sustained me as feeling like a worthwhile person in the world, like I'd had to move home with my parents. I could barely read. I could barely string two sentences together. Like I was just, <laughs> mm. and, um, and I remember in that moment realising everything is gone and all that is left to me right here is to be able to love. And so if for the rest of my life all I can do is love and appreciate, you know, the people around me, the beauty, the food that gets cooked for me, then that's actually that's going to be enough. And I'm not saying I lived in that all the time because I really didn't, but it was a really, you know, important part of that, of my yeah. sort of journey. Yeah. Another really important part was realising all the ways I was trying to run and escape from the experience and really just almost in my my mind body sort of going, all right, then I have to turn and face this. Nobody Nobody can fix this for me. Mm. I have to find a way to turn and face it as horrible and difficult and scary and confronting as it is and as much as I don't want it, mm. I actually have to turn and face it because it's mine. Um, it is my experience. So that was really important. Um, and then I guess... Then one of the next big, big changes was I remember one point, so this is about eight years in, um, remembering that somebody had said that I had PTSD and thinking, all right, well, if this is PTSD, then I need to find somebody who can help with PTSD. And so I um, approached a therapist here in Canberra who didn't have capacity but sent me on to another therapist who I saw for about seven years. And she she gave me some really helpful pieces. She was really she was almost more like a coach in a way, like she was very practical, very, very empathetic but very practical. It's like, all right, so you want to do that and it feels overwhelming and too scary. What do you need to make it a little bit less scary? Mm. how can you do this and you might go back and forth between I can do this I can't that's okay that's just how life goes mm. so she was very um she had very deep her own spiritual practice and roots you think of her as a very wise woman in those very um practical this is just life ways mm. um so she really really helped me and then I sort of got as far as I could with that kind of work and then I found um, a psychodynamic self-psychology therapist who I saw for another 10 years. Mm. And um, so she worked more with the really, at that attachment level, 
you know, really in the therapeutic relationship, really just at the attachment level of helping me, um, you know, being the res- more responsive parent that I'd missed out on. Mm. Um, and then it was through my work with her that I found that she put me on to um, uh, a somatic dance class here in Canberra that just was amazing. That got my mind body working again and I started to regain confidence in my body in myself in movement started learning to follow the flow of my own body energy without being terrified by it Um, so one of the things with chronic fatigue syndrome and I think with any chronic illness Mm. is that there's this loss of feeling like you can rely on or trust in your body or yourself you know like with my body I would often be sitting up and it just felt like the bottom like like, if you want to put it this way it's like my whole pelvic floor opened up and everything drained out yeah that was kind of how it felt and I was just this hollow shell with absolutely no buffer it's quite against the world no resources inside to deal with anything Mm. So, you know, obviously there were bits and pieces of that coming back and then this class really helped and it was sort of through all of that that I then found out about somatic experiencing and went on to experience, you know, do some sessions and then to decide to train in it. And whilst I don't think it's the answer to everything, it holds Mm. really beautiful pieces. Chantal, can you just share a little bit about somatic experiencing? Because I don't think that, you know, our listeners might be familiar with that. Sure. So it's, um, it works very, it's a, so it's a trauma therapy. Um, Mm. It comes, uh, was developed by Peter Levine in the 1970s and it came out of an experience he had working as a psychiatrist with a client who had massive psychiatric issues. And one day he was with her and he just had this image of a tiger and he just said, run, Nancy, run. Mm. And I can't remember if she actually ran or she Mm. imagined it. But she did that and her psychiatric symptoms started to resolve. He went, whoa, what just happened here? (laughs) (laughs) So he started... um, you know, looking at animals and getting curious about the nervous system and understanding that trauma lives in the body and one of the ways it lives in the body is in the nervous system and that where there are incomplete, um, you know, incomplete responses to either to be able to fight, to flee, um, we would also, I think, say now, you know, to get help, um, that our physiology gets highly disrupted and lives on in us as traumatic stress which shows up as symptoms like Mm. psychiatric symptoms like chronic illness some chronic illnesses like chronic pain um not to say that chronic illnesses psychiatric you know all of those things are traumatic responses but that's a traumatic response can show up so a lot of the work then of somatic experiencing is really getting into the nervous system and allowing it to complete what it didn't get to do, bringing Mm. in the resources that were missing so that I think like any, any therapy, the power of it, um, 
lies in having new experiences. So we have all these experiences that sort of make up who we are, how we view the world, how we experience the world, how we experience ourselves and others. And where those, where that kind of map, if you like, isn't working well for us anymore, we need new experiences that help us draw a new map. And, you know, people think in terms of, you know, neural pathways and stuff. And I think it's, I agree, and I think that that shows up experientially as something deeper in our psyche and our spirit and our body. Mm. Um, so it's really about, um, you know, understanding something of the nature of the trauma or at least how it's living in the nervous system and bringing in more regulation, more resources, allowing the body to do what it didn't get to do. Yeah. In a, in a way that also really uses the, the therapeutic relationship, like the empathy, the love, the, the care, the, the being with to create safety and those relational, um, reparative pieces as well. Mm. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting, um, as you share all of that is, um, in terms of in terms of what helped you, what were the turning points? A lot of those turning points led you back to be being able to um, be with your body, to trust your body, as you were saying, and that's mm. a big deal. That's such a big deal. Um, and somatic experiencing is an incredible, incredible approach to being able to do that. I mean, I'm not trained in it, but more recently, you and I met at the Integral. Um, um, ISP integral somatic psychology training, and that's something that um, you trained in. And it's interesting to see how, through your own experience of really, um, you know, chronic fatigue of both physically and emotionally suffering um, through that period, you've come back to be able to empower others through not just the mind, not just the intellect, but working with the body and. And I know that that's a much needed approach in, you know, in in therapy sphere, in psychotherapy, psychology, you, you name it. Which brings me to a question, um, you know, looking back, if um, you kind of shared about some of the things that really, really helped you and that all would have been helpful, what are some things that you think um, – please don't do this. You know, if, if you know someone going through this, it's like, you know, this is this is not helpful and people may have the right intention, whether it be as a therapist or isn't even as a friend. I know they're two very different relationships. I realise that. But I think it's helpful to hear that from you. Sure. Well, I think I might actually just also just start with what I think is helpful because that also weeds out all the things that aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I, you know, what is helpful, I think, is going back to what we've been talking about of just being willing to be with someone and accept them as they are and being willing to listen and get to know and and to to validate how difficult the experience is. It's I felt so much shame. Mm about having chronic fatigue syndrome. And I felt so much shame about how I was able to deal with it. You know, I had friends who were, I had a friend, we got it at the same time. She was able to go on and, you know, kind of, um, you know, keep doing more stuff. I just kind of went into a cocoon that it took a really long time to get out of. 
um, you know, so, you know, one of the, the two, two friends, really, both who I met during the journey. And one, um, I met it when I was in Darwin. And he, he was just, he was like, I'm so curious. Tell me what it's like. <laughs> you know, wow. And he just, he wasn't phased. Mm. He was just like, oh, okay, so this is happening. All right. And he would, you know, he'd pop around with music. He just treated me like a normal person. And he was curious about what it was like. Now, you know, that's not something you can put on. Yeah. <laughs> he had a natural capacity for that. Um, but it's it's worth considering where we can't do that, I think, is what scares us. Ask ourselves what scares us about mm. getting close to this person and what's happening with them. Um, so doing a bit of self-inquiry. That's, that's a powerful question. What scares us? about being yeah. close to this person. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What about their fragility? What about what we don't know what to do or mm. say? What about, um, you know, our own fear of, my God, what if that were me? You know, all those things. Mm. Um, yeah, and then I think, so, and I just, I loved, I remember one time, so, um, I had some really, really difficult experiences that I, you know, didn't like to share. And I remember telling him about them once. And I was just like waiting for him to go, oh, well, you know, don't like you now. And he just went, well, I would have been surprised if those things hadn't happened. Mm. And I just remember the relief that he actually, he got it and he wasn't scared. Mm. he yeah. could just go okay so mm. that's that kind of unconditional yeah acceptance you know and not that you know it's not like he enslaved himself to me he popped around when he wanted to he you know he didn't offer more of himself than he wanted to give mm. um or not that i know of but he was able to just be relaxed and genuine with me and that was just one of the biggest gifts. Mm. Yeah, it's made me feel like I was still a person. Yeah, you know, I think when you have a chronic it. illness that, you know, you're watching your friends getting married, having children, having jobs, and you can't even sit up and have a cup of tea with someone for more than 15 minutes, you can feel pretty awful about yourself like why me what's wrong with me and you know I don't have anything to relate to to these people who used to be my friends and I don't feel like I'm a valid part of human race like where's my worth come from mm. I can't do I can't engage with the kinds of lives that other people are having and so to have somebody who's just like, oh, hello, Chantal, you're you. Nice. Here's some music. Have a listen. See what you think. It's like, oh, okay. Bless those people. <laughs> I know. It's such a gem. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, we come back to the essence of how can I be with you regardless of what's happened regardless of what you can or you can't do, how can I just be with you? Yep. 
And if it would be all right to say a little bit of something about now, because I know we're nearing time, about how we do healthcare and mm. how that relates to this, would this be a good time to so, bring that in? Yeah. Let's. So, so is this kind of your given everything, given your own journey, and then how the vision that you have for others or for healthcare? Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Hmm. Right. So, so my experience of the healthcare system was not great. Um, so I had um, interactions with GPs. Um, I, I also um, was one of the um, unfortunate, unlucky people for whom um, certain kinds of antidepressants send them into mania and psychosis. Mm. So I also had um, a few brushes with, not brushes, but hospitalizations um, in relation to that. Um, so I kind of feel pretty intimately connected to, you know, the hospital system, the general practice system and how we do mental health. Um, and, you know, I've worked in a hospital, rehab hospital, as well as acute hospital that deals with all of those. So I've seen it from the inside and the outside, if you like. Mm. Um, and so... I mean, it's a big topic. There's so much I could say. But if we go back to what what do we all need as human beings? We need to feel that we're loved, that we're valued, that we belong. Um, and that's found in the kinds of interactions I talked about with that friend. Um, it's found in accepting communities. Um, it's found in people who are willing to really attune and get to know who we are. And um, that is not something that our healthcare system does well. Mm. You know, and even where there are individuals who do it well systemically, that's not, that's not the model. I mean, there's nothing, there's very little about a hospital that, um, offers a sense of community other than what, in my experience, the patients make for themselves. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I think, and there's, you know, there's also, and I was just writing about this this morning, actually, we come, it's such a, it's an emergency. Um, our healthcare system was founded on emergency and it's now sort of shifted into dealing with chronic illnesses and comorbidities, and it's not well designed for that. Mm. Um, great for a broken leg, great for heart surgery, yeah. like a bunch of things great for. But where you've got these more complex things, it, it doesn't do very well, and that's well known within the healthcare system. Mm. That's something that's talked about. Um, but it's And it's trying to be addressed, but there's not easy answers. So that's sort of one part. The other part is it comes out of a science model which has that real mechanistic, here's here's a body, here's a problem, this is how we understand this problem, this is the intervention we make to make this better, right? And, mm. and therapy models are also based on that, yeah? And hold, and both are holding this, I feel, this really uneasy tension between I'm the ex, well, in a medical, you know, as a professional, I'm supposed to know. I'm supposed to be the expert. And this person is bringing themselves to me for me to 
bring in all my wonderful pills or tools or techniques to fix them and send them out in the world. Yeah. But that's not really how it works and, and what it, you know, that's why we talk about a therapeutic alliance. That's why there's so much talk in medical circles about respecting patient choices, about gaining consent. But in terms of understanding how do we, how does somebody with some, you know, who's, who's studied, who's thought, who's reflected, who's trained in various models of therapeutic or medical intervention, how does that come together with a human being who has all this knowledge and information about themselves? Well, how do those two come together? It's extremely uneasy. I think at the moment um, in most settings and it's a very difficult tension. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of my experience with chronic fatigue syndrome in the medical system, where were the people who slowed down, who asked me what my sense was of what was going on mm. and what I felt like I might need in order to heal? Very few. Right. Mm. You know, so there's this whole sort of divide mm. between, and even the doctors who were caring, um, I was still looking up to them to make things better. Mm. I'm sure they felt the pressure to make things better, so they had to bring in various interventions which were rarely helpful. You know, so one mm. thing that I've been thinking about, you know, keep thinking about is, it, it is also for me something a little weird about how people leave their lives, come and sit in an office one hour a week, 50 minutes or one hour a week with a therapist, maybe a couple times a week, and then they go out into their world. And the therapist never meets their people unless it's couples therapy or something, and they never get to know the therapist's world. Like there's really good reasons why we have these divides. I'm not suggesting yeah. that we shouldn't. <laughs> But it also makes me curious about what what would what would what kind of healing and transformation and growth and change be like if it was happening more within a sense of community, within a sense of where one person doesn't have to be the expert who's somehow not as human as the person sitting in the room. <laughs> Mm. You know, like where, where can, where does all of this, where can it kind of come together into mm. a shape that to me feels like it's more honouring of we're all human and we're all in this together. And yes, I do reflect and study on this. And these are things that I can bring to you and, and hope to help you. And we can work this out together. Mm. And 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 what are you know for people with mental health issues who are entering hospitals such a freaking unhelpful environment by and large for getting better people often <laughs> leave in one some ways better and other ways more deeply traumatized yeah. so where where would be what would you know a heal a place for healing that had a sense of community and belonging and togetherness that felt more connected and like a village rather than a hospital. Maybe. Mm, what a beautiful way to 
what a beautiful word to to really um i guess encapsulate what what you're saying about what about the change that is needed i mean village yeah you know it takes a village to raise a child they say it takes a village to help someone it takes a village to help someone who's going through a challenging time and i think all of us need a village Mm. you know and our villages change you know it's sort of the constellation of the people in our life you know there may be a few core people who who stay throughout our life but others come and go Mm. so I feel like there's a real you know it's it's always a sort of an ever-changing village for each of us and that how can we um how can we use that understanding to return more closely to our own humanity and notice when our, you know, someone's entering our village or we're entering theirs and, and kind of what that inter- what that interaction is about. So it's much, I guess, if you want to look at it this way, it's more like a landscape or it's more lateral rather than I'm the authority and you come in and I, that's more sort of, mm. you know, hierarchical. Yeah. which is very much a medical model. It's like, no, we're all people on this journey together and how can we come together for a shared goal of your well-being at the moment, of over here maybe my well-being. Mm. And, and how does that bring us closer to what it is to be in genuine loving connection with each other and how does that also bring us back to what it is to be human and part of this earth, you know, surrounded by the trees and the birds and, the, you know, living off the water and the foods and, you know, breathing the air. Like how does this sort of more interconnected, interwoven or reweaving of what I feel has been kind of fragmented and broken and sort of stuck in these kind of concrete pillars and sort of lost that sort of more earthy or more natural, genuine connection that to me holds the essence of healing mm. much more so than getting a pill, which may be a cure for, for some particular illness, but isn't about healing. And I think we're really in a time where we need to be understanding the elements of healing. Mm. And as you say that, it takes me takes me to what you were saying early on. You know what comes up for me as you share that is everything is gone. All that is left is to love. And I wonder if we're living through those times where things, as we've known them, are being you know pulled apart, deconstructed. Um, yeah, life is not the same. So. I'm willing to stay in the question, what does it take, you know, for us to share this love, to be open to it and to connect from this place, um, even within medical systems, even within um, corporations, because that needs to change as well. Mm. Um, I mean, to finish off, Chantal, what's your sense around that in terms of, I know this is a hard question, but in terms of, timing i mean you're still in the hospital system is is it are things being shaken up there from given what we're speaking about um do you see like crumbs of change 
absolutely, absolutely. I think, um, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think what I felt was that it's very hard for people so deeply embedded within a system to go, maybe this, maybe the whole thing's broken. Like, do we just need to do some tweaks and bring in some new things within this system? Or do we actually need to take this apart? And I think as a society, I think that's where we're really stuck. We're like, how do we, we've got all these systems in place. How do we make them work better, more efficiently, more whatever? And I'm like, I think the castle's falling over people and we might actually need to let it crumble and fall apart. Or we might need to step outside of the castle and build something else beside it. Mm. and sort of keep things going here and transition over here Um, because I don't think most of our systems are fixable within the way that they are. That's my my feeling. Mm. The other piece I just want to bring in as we're tying this up is about bearing witness. So I think this, again, speaks to what we're talking about is where we, where nothing can be fixed, where nothing can be done. You know, whether somebody's dying of COVID and there's nothing that can be done or where somebody has a chronic illness that's not yet understood and we don't have a way of fixing it or making it better, you know, what if we can just, and this comes very much out of spiritual care, what is the power of bearing witness to Mm -hmm. suffering, the power of bearing witness to what is true? even if we can't make it better. And I feel that so strongly in these times with so many species being wiped out, with forests burning to the ground. Yes, we can rush in and try and fix it. Yes, there's a thousand things we all need to be doing to to change and to protect and, you know, this beautiful planet on which we live to reintegrate ourselves in sustainable, you know, not even sustainable, but loving connection. And at the same time, it is a time of mass extinction, of mass death, of crumbling systems. How can we bear witness to the truth of our times and kind of let what's happening happen where it needs to happen and where can we skillfully step in and create change Mm. and what's that change in service of yeah Chantel I just feel it's such a natural and organic way for us to finish here I mean you know inviting let's invite everyone to kind of be with that to really to stay in the power of um um, in the power of asking those questions and um, bearing witness to what is happening and then to be able to, when we've done that, when we've truly done that, to then respond from that place as opposed to reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, Chantel, thank you so much for sharing your incredible journey, you know, and for being able to be um, from that place to um, to guide others on their journey, um, to help them connect to their own wisdom and truth. Um, I think that um, it would be such a privilege to have you as a guide to do that. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a real, 
real joy to be here with you and to articulate this stuff, which is harder to put in practice than to talk about, but it's so helpful to talk about it. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on Empowered Conversations. Subscribe to the show now and then head over to my Facebook page, Susie Petrozzi, for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present, be powerful and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations.